flag. You're listening to the news on RTHK. AM, FM and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday the 25th of October. A warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. The mainland economy grew by a better than expected 3.9% year-on-year in the third quarter, according to delayed data released on Monday. The data showed higher growth than the 3.4% predicted by economists and an improvement on second quarter growth of just 0.4%. The latest GDP result brought the year-to-date growth to 3%, well below the official target of around 5.5%. Rishi Sunak will become the UK's third Prime Minister in two months after his only rival, Penny Mordaunt, dropped out of the leadership race yesterday. He will be appointed later today, and he will be the UK's first Asian Prime Minister and the country's youngest leader in more than two centuries. In a brief address, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer warned the country faces profound economic challenges. Business activity in the US slowed more than expected in October as inflation crimped demand. The S&P Global Flash Purchasing Managers Index dropped to 47.3 in October from 49.5 in September, missing economists' estimates. It was the fourth consecutive month of contraction in activity and And S&P said firms' outlook optimism deteriorated markedly in October and the resulting degree of confidence was among the lowest in survey history. And business activity in the Eurozone has suffered its biggest contraction for almost two years. S&P Global's flash Eurozone composite PMI fell one point to 47. That's its lowest level since November 2020 and the fourth consecutive month below the 50 mark separating growth from contraction. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Patrick Bennett at CIBC World Markets and Kenny Wen from KGI Asia. With a view from Japan is Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. US stocks rose on Monday as investors prepared for a busy earnings week, including third quarter results from tech giants Meta, Amazon, Microsoft and Alphabet. The S&P 500 gained 1.2% to close at 3,797. The Dow added 417 points, or 1.3%, ending the day at 31,500. The Nasdaq Composite advanced 0.9% to end at 10,953. In Europe, the Stock 600 index jumped 1.4% higher, and in the UK, the FTSE 100 climbed 0.6%. Hong Kong stocks plunged following the end of China's 20th National Congress. The Hang Seng slumped 1,030 points, that's 6.4%, to a new 13.5-year low of 15,181. For 2022 so far, the Hang Seng is down over 35%, making it the world's worst-performing major market. More than 1.6 trillion US dollars of market value has been uh, wiped out across the Hong Kong markets this year. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index, a gauge of Chinese stocks listed here in Hong Kong, plunged 7.3%. That's the worst showing after any party congress since the inception of the index in 1994. 
the Hang Seng Tech Index plummeted 9.7% to a new record low below 3,000. Year-to-date, it's down almost 51%. Alibaba, JD.com and Tencent each tanked between 11% to 15%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite dropped 2% to 2,978, extending its losses to over 18% for the year. Brink crude oil settled 0.3% lower at $93.26 a barrel. Gold is at $1,652 an ounce. The 10-year Treasury recovered from an early decline to close three basis points higher at 4.25%. And UK government bond markets welcomed the news that Rishi Sunak will be the UK's next Prime Minister. UK gilts posted some of their biggest gains on record. The two-year gilt dropped 37 basis points Monday to end at 3.43%. That's the biggest fall since 1993. And the 10-year gilt yield... That sank 34 basis points to trade at 3.71%, which is the lowest since former, ch- former Chancellor Quasi Quirting's mini budget. In the currency markets, the euro this morning is trading at 99 cents. The Japanese yen swung wildly yesterday, prompting speculation about a third intervention from the Bank of Japan to buy the yen after starting the morning in Japan at around about 149 and three quarters per US dollar. The yen exploded higher to 145 and a half in the space of just a few minutes but then by the afternoon the yen was back at the level before the morning surge began and it's currently trading right now at 148.86 which is about one percent lower over the day the british pound that was up for most of the day before pairing its gains it's unchanged right now at one dollar 13 cents and eight hong kong dollars and 88 cents the onshore yuan depreciated 0.4% to 7.26 and a quarter per dollar. That's its weakest since January 2008. And offshore yuan is at a new record low of 7.32 and a half versus the dollar. And Bitcoin is up almost 1% at $19,300. The sell-off in Chinese stocks looks set to continue this morning. The Nasdaq Golden Dragon China Index of US-listed Chinese companies fell by a record 14.4% its lowest level since December 2012. The index is down now by about 50% this year. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 30 points lower um, in about an hour and a half's time. In Australia right now, the SX200 is up half a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is up about uh, two thirds of a percent. And the uh, the Cosby in South Korea rising about 0.1% at the open. Over in our Queensway studio, we have our two guests this morning, Patrick Bennett, macro strategist at CIBC World Markets, and Kenny Wen, head of investment strategy at KGI Asia. Morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. Um, let's start with the Hong Kong markets. As you heard there, a big plunge um, overnight. It looked like very much panic selling uh, yesterday, particularly uh, by, uh, by foreign investors. Uh, what do you make, first of all, of, of what we saw uh, yesterday and, and why are foreigners in particular just losing all confidence in, uh, in Chinese stocks? Yeah, look, it's uh, not a pretty picture at all. Uh, look, I think we're seeing a, uh, well, somewhat of a parallel to what we saw in, uh, in the UK uh, where investors have, uh, have lost confidence or lost confidence 
uh, in the ability of leaders to uh, you know to manage the economy in a uh, uh, you know in a, in a, in a forthright way. Uh, and so what we saw uh, you know, out of the, uh, the election or the uh, nomination of the uh, members of the standing committee, that investors you know, faced with less liquidity than we've seen for, for some time because central banks around the world are, are raising interest rates and are going to continue to do that. You know, then investors, uh, international investors and domestic investors as well, just really have you know, no patience for uh, uncertainty. And I think that's what we're stuck with at the moment. Uh, you know, where we come out of it uh, could take some time. It, it does seem, doesn't it, that um, if you look at the lineup now of both the Politburo and the Central Committee, we've lost some key um, economic reformers like Premier Li Keqiang, uh, Wang Yang, who was uh, the, the political consultative conference uh, chairman. They were both seen as economic liberals. And also some other senior um, officials have gone uh, as well, uh, like uh, like the chairman of the China Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission, the PBOC governor, Yi Gang, the finance minister, all gone. Now, do you think investors are worried um, by that? Well, I think, yeah, they're worried uh, because of the uncertainty. Uh, you know, the proof will be, you know, the proof is, is yet to come. And uh, I'm not quite, I'm not uh, convinced that it's time to, you know, to throw the, uh, the baby out with the bathwater just yet. Uh, you know, I think the evidence, as I say, you know, is, is still to be uh, is, is still to be found. Uh, certainly, investors are voting with their money at the moment. Mm. Um, so there's you know, work to do whether uh, China wants to turn more you know insular or not, and, and that's not really the message that we got from uh, from President Xi uh, you know a week or so ago. So yeah, it feels it's a panic at the moment rather than uh, you know a rational uh, assessment of, of what the future might hold. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because I do talk with a lot of uh, investors yesterday. I think there's two concerns. For short term, some investors are disappointed because uh, until now, there are not any uh, policy to boost up the GDP or any relaxation on the quarantine uh, measures. And also for long term, there may be the concern that there's a huge change on the policy mechanism because now they are saying that uh, gradually achieving the common prosperity. But as we remember in 20, 30 years ago, the original objective is let some people get rich first. So there's a huge change. So uh, investor, at least some investors do concern that um, uh, the future policy will be less market friendly. Uh, actually, if we refer to the opening speech from President Xi, you can see that the wording he used was totally different. Uh, we calculate the frequency of the wordings. Uh, we can see that for uh, socialism, uh, China characteristics, and also army, the frequency has increased. It. On the other hand, democracy, innovation, economy, the wording frequency has decreased. It. So there's uh, some concern over the at least the retail investors. Uh, and we do see the foreign investor uh, having some sell-off yesterday. But I think that's not the only reason because you, you uh, we all know that uh, the new leadership already announced in the uh, afternoon uh, on sun, uh, Saturday. But if you refer to the uh, index checking, the Hang Seng Index traded in Singapore, until the morning of Monday, they are still going up 20 points. So mm. I think there's a lot of uh, factors combined together and make the sell of yesterday. And it's not only talking about the new leadership. 
When you do that word count from um, President Xi Jinping's speeches, do you get the impression then that now the economy is less important than things like security and self-sufficiency? They were two words that were used a lot, weren't they? Uh, yes, there's some people, at least they're concerned about that. Maybe for coming five to uh, three to five years, uh, security may be... Uh, more important than, or, or put it this way, they're willing to accept a relatively lower GDP growth in order to, as a trade-off, for a long-term national security. And I, I do think that they, they have another um, uh, concern. It's just just like Peter, you mentioned that, uh, for example, the, the chief uh, economic advisor and the trade negotiator Lo He were excluded in the new leadership. So mm. and and also for the uh, new leadership, uh, something that they are lack of economic background and also they are quite aggressive on 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 international relations. So they given the current complicated situation, they they are uh, they may be a, a little bit challenge for them. But I think it is too early to say it. <laughs> so mm. I, I, we should give give time for them to, and they can refer to some think tanks for uh, policy analysis and research. So I do think that uh, the economic background may not really so important for the top tier of the of the management or the leadership. Mm. Do, do you worry, um, Patrick, that with this now lack of checks and balances in the government, I mean, the, the government can really pursue almost whatever it wants to do, um, that we might see more market-unfriendly policies like some of the ones that we saw last year, you know, in the, in the tech sector, for example? Well, I think certainly that's the fear of investors. And again, it's the uncertainty which is, uh, you know, which is out there at the moment. And, uh, you know, uh, speaking if we'd spoken, uh, you know, some months ago or a year ago, perhaps, um, uh, we were suggesting that uh, you know foreign portfolio investment, inward investment into China, the opening up of the economy, was something which would underpin Chinese assets and in mm. turn the, the currency. Well, that's you know that's just not happening. And any uh, you know, it, there's no been no metric set around that. There's been no uh, comfort or, or confidence given to uh, to international investors that uh, that things aren't going to turn. Towards a more, uh, you know, a more ideological uh, approach rather than a, a pragmatic one, you know, despite what uh, what the president what presidency had uh, has told us a, a week or ten days ago. So, yeah, look, it's a it's a difficult one. Uh, I'm not convinced about uh, about following the you know the strong sell off that we've seen, you know, yesterday. Uh, I think it's a resetting and a rebalancing of of where investors want to uh, want to enter the Chinese market. Uh, and eventually through a combination of a, a weaker currency through the stronger dollar mm-hmm. uh, and some clarification on, on policy, then I think opportunities will again uh, you know, will again arise. I mean, if we look at what foreigners were doing yesterday here in Hong Kong, uh, they sold a net two and a half billion US dollars of shares through the Stock Connect. That's um, a record going back to 2016. And then we saw that big big sell-off in the US. The Nasdaq Golden Dragon China Index fell by a record 14.4%. It seems to me that there were signs here of, um, of false selling, margin calls for some of the Chinese funds um, and so on. Is, is that maybe a sign that you're sort of almost, it's a climatic selling and we might be getting to a bottom? 
Well, I think it's a capitulation. Yes, uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, the fact of uh, you know less leverage in the market. Uh, interest rates are, are, raise, are being raised around the world, except in except in China. Um, you know, so people's access to leverage uh, and the uh, and the margin calls, which come through higher volatility, so the so-called VAR, the, the you know the value at risk, uh, tends to go up as markets move more swiftly. Uh, and then, so the capacity of investors or the capacity of uh, you know traders to hold those positions is is reduced. So, so yes, I, I'd be very I would be surprised if we saw another sell-off uh, of the same magnitude, you know, on on consecutive days. Mm. Kenny, I want to ask you the question I was asked by several people yesterday: um, Should they buy Hong Kong stocks now? Put some more money maybe into their MPF? <laughs> well, that is a <laughs> multi-million-dollar question. Uh, I, I think it depends on the short term or long term. If you think uh, the Hong Kong stock market do not have a structural change, then saying that nine times PE, ten times PE for uh, three or five years uh, investment horizon, I do think that it makes sense if you are holding a lot of cash and without uh, without significant equity exposure. But my key point is, even though uh, we live in Hong Kong, we can invest globally. We mm. can have uh, asset allocation. So uh, anyway, I, I, I do not think that Hong Kong stock should uh, uh, account for your uh, account for your whole uh, portfolio. You should mm. be diversified. Even though diversification uh, is, is not does not working this year because I do a bad testing. If you're holding sixty percent stocks and forty percent bonds, and your return is talking about uh, for the for the worst per- performance for the past one hundred years. So uh, it, you you know that for this year it's an abnormal year because we are facing what we call uh, stagflation. Uh, but for long term, I do think that diversification is the only way to achieve um, a gradual capital gain. And I suppose also if you do want to buy, um, the other question I have to think about is where do you buy? Because you could buy these stocks on Chinese stocks on the mainland where there seems to be less volatility. And also you've got the possibility that the so-called national team is going to step in and help yes, support certainly. markets. You don't have that here, much more volatility, but then you can buy these stocks much cheaper in Hong Kong. Uh, if I need to choose between the mainland Asia and Hong Kong. For short term, I will choose the Asia in mainland because uh, they are less sensitive to the uh, global issue. Especially, you can see that in Japan. I worry that there's uh, a battle between market and the government. And some worry about financial, uh, systematic financial risk will happen in Europe, mm-hmm. uh, UK, and maybe in Japan. So uh, I want to uh, less correlated with the global market. And also also, just you mentioned the national team. Usually, they will uh, enter the market in uh, in Shenzhen and Shanghai. So, in these two angles, uh, if I really need to bet on my money, but don't forget that we can have a term deposit, saying four to five percent, which is higher than the inflation in Hong Kong. So, uh, we we have, do have a choice not to invest uh, now and take a wait and see approach. But anyway, uh, my bet will be on Asia's uh, mainland Asia's. Okay. Um, Patrick, what about the currency? Because as well as stocks, we've also seen the Chinese onshore renminbi at the weakest level since 2008. Offshore yuan um, at a record low. Um, how big a problem is that? 
Yeah, look, I don't think it's a it's an, a terribly big problem. I, if we look at where the uh, the Chinese currency is traded against other major currencies year to date, uh, it's actually performed quite well. Uh, that's against a very much stronger dollar uh, overall. Uh, the dollar is stronger because you know, interest rates mm. are, are rising. The U.S. economy has been outperforming, uh, you know, its its peers. So, yeah, I think we need to be careful, uh, or we need to you know, we need to be cautious and, and just uh, you know consider just the level it's at. Uh, you know, certainly though for uh, you know, for Hong Kong investors, where our currency is you know is pegged or a currency board system to the dollar, you know, then the uh, you know the RMB does start to get uh, to levels I think when it becomes attractive to invest. So, I think that's going to be a part of uh, investors' uh, consideration uh, over the next few months. We expect the US dollar to remain firm, uh, likely into the uh, end of the year in the first quarter. Uh, but we've likely seen you know the, the uh, you know the, the, the extent well the, the the major weakness. The interesting thing today will be where the uh, where the dollar CNH fix is is, uh, is set because of mm. course the currency can only trade at a limit of, of plus or minus two uh, percent. And if the the US dollar is near its peak, does that also mean bond yields are near their peak as well? Well, it's been a, a, a difficult one. Uh, look, I think bond yields are going to stay uh, somewhat elevated. Uh, I think inflation stays uh, you know stays somewhat uh, stays somewhat elevated. Uh, but I think what we're seeing now is a, uh, a divergence between policies between, say, the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world, around the region. You know, the Australian Central Bank is saying to slow the pace of, of their hikes, uh, for one. So I, I think that the, uh, you know, the largest moves, are, you know, have happened. But uh, you know, we're not betting or we're not uh, talking about, uh, uh, you know, central banks are cutting rates uh, anytime soon. We think rates continue to rise uh, into 2023. Uh, and stay firm for uh, you know right through the year with uh, with no prospects of easing uh, currently in sight. Kenny, finally, let me just ask you about the GDP data we had out of the mainland. Three point nine percent, better than expected. But then we got some quite mixed September data, didn't yes. we? Some very disappointing retail sales data in particular. What what's it telling us? This data. I think uh, it's telling us the economic situation quite mixed, especially the retail sales in Western market forecast. But anyway, for overall, the GDP is better than the market uh, expectation. So now uh, I think the focus will put on the the the, the uh, policy direction uh, and the economic data uh, already digested by the market. I think. Okay, well, good to talk to you both. Thanks for coming in. That's Kenny Wen, Head of Investment Strategy at KGI Asia. Patrick Bennett, who's Macro Strategist at CIBC World Markets. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. 8.25 on the phone from Tokyo is journalist and author William Pesic. Morning, William. Good morning, Peter. Not just the currency here and stocks here that are moving around. What about the Japanese yen? It had another wild day yesterday, doesn't it? More, more rumours uh, that the BOJ stepped in uh, to try and support it. Um, what's going on? I mean, we're seeing huge volatility now in the, uh, in the currency. And on one metric, if you uh, value the yen against its peers when adjusted for inflation, it's now at a 52-year low. I mean, this is a, an enormous slump, isn't it, in the currency? It is incredible, and it's personal for me because I'm heading to New York in a week oh, to uh, see, my, <laughs> see my parents, so no shopping for me. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a fascinating moment, and I think all eyes, of course, as you say, are on the Bank of Japan. And what we're getting from the Bank of Japan, for the most part, is crickets, right? I mean, there have been some efforts to intervene here and there, 
but I think that currency markets are communicating to Japan that unless the you know other central banks like the Federal Reserve or the ECB are involved in the operation, no one really cares. I mean, you know, the yen, of course, has been a the weak yen has been a policy for Japan for a couple of decades now, the last decade especially. But at the moment, this is really more of a Federal Reserve dollar trade than a yen trade. But you are seeing the problem here, where Japan is kind of signaling to the world that. We've in some ways lost control of the exchange rate, and policymakers here are just not quite clear what to do about it as inflation increases. So it's a challenging moment for the BOJ. I mean, I'm hearing uh, Kuroda-san being referred to as kamikaze uh, Kuroda these <laughs> days, uh, but he, he seems absolutely determined, doesn't he, that he's not going to be deflected off this path of ultra-low uh, interest rates, despite almost everywhere else in the world they're going up rapidly. Yeah, I think for the BOJ, it's the kind of economic equivalent of the Hippocratic oath, you know, do no harm. And I think the BOJ worries that if they do take do some moves here, where you know certainly they can't raise interest rates, they really can't taper, so to speak. So even if the BOJ stepped up and said we're going to recalibrate our bond purchase programs, this is kind of what economists like Norio Rabini, you know, Doctor Doctor Doom, worry about that the BOJ will signal some kind of change in policy that, in some ways unnerves for global bond markets again. So I think the BOJ is sitting back just kind of figuring out what to do, but they're trying not to, you know, sort of add volatility uh, to the pot mm-hmm. at the moment. But, you know, in many ways, though, all eyes are, are here on, on Tokyo at the moment. And, you know, Prime Minister Kishida, he also has been pretty unclear about how the BOJ and the Ministry of Finance plan to deal with the yen. So it is a it is a fascinating moment of I think we're sort of you know, the, the deer is caught in the headlights in, in some ways. I mean, we're obviously focusing on it a lot from overseas, but how much are ordinary Japanese people noticing this or talking about it? And if they are, what what is their view about it? Well, it is front page news here. I mean, what's really interesting if you ask the average American or Brit what is the value of your currency right now, most people wouldn't have a clue. Here in Japan. Every day when you turn on the news, I mean, I was at the gym last night watching the te- you know, television monitors, and they kept on flashing the, the yen rate to the dollar. I think that there's a lot of concern about, you know, traveling overseas, certainly, um, mm-hmm. you know, because COVID is, uh, is in the rear mirror to some extent in the Japanese context. People want to travel overseas, but there are some concerns about the yen rate there. But I think also, in many ways, people are looking at the weak yen, and they're looking at the economy, and they're connecting the dots. The way that Americans might look at the stock market and say this reflects the economy, Japanese here are looking at the yen falling, and they're thinking, well, this might suggest our economy is not very good. So there could be a feedback effect on confidence, both for businesses and for households. And who do they blame for this? Whose fault do they think it is? Well, at the moment, they're blaming the U.S., they're blaming the Federal Reserve. But I think behind, you know, basically behind the scenes, there's a recognition that, you know, Japan, Abenomics, had 10 years to re- recalibrate the economy and to raise Japan's economic game. It didn't happen. And, you know, we've had 10 years of extreme yen weakness and policy uh, aimed at weakening the yen. And now it's kind of backfiring on Japan. We've sort of lost control of the monster as you will. So I think that there is some concern about the government and how Prime Minister Kishida at the moment um, doesn't seem to have a plan to stabilize the yen. And, you know, if we were to start begin talking about 160 to the dollar, wow. Mm. And, and are you getting a surge in tourists as a result of this, which would presumably be a boost for the economy? 
We are to some extent. I mean, I was out a couple of nights ago with a, with a couple of friends visiting from Australia who've been they've been delaying their trip for uh, for two and a half years now. They finally made it. So yeah, you walk around Ginza, you walk around Shibuya. There definitely are some more foreign faces. We haven't seen the kind of explosion of tourism that they're hoping for, but it is you know it's trickling in to some extent, and that's that's a good thing. Anything that uh, gives Japan a bit of a tailwind at the moment is very welcome. William, thank you very much indeed. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And over in Tokyo right now, the Nikkei 225 is up a quarter of a percent. In Australia, the ASX 200 uh, has risen about 0.6%. The Cosby up three quarters of a percent um, in South Korea. But sadly, looks like the sell-off in Hong Kong stocks is going to continue this morning. The Hang Seng uh, looking set to lose about another 30 points or so at the open. And that will put it at a new 13 and a half year low. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with all the latest business and finance updates for you. Coming up after the news is Back Chats with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, fine and dry. Uh, maximum temperature is going to be around 27 degrees. It's going to be fine and dry for the rest of this week. There is a strong monsoon signal in force. 23 degrees right now, 61% relative humidity. The time's 8.31. Todd Harding has the half-hour news. The police say the number of phone scams in the first nine months of this year surged 130% from the same period last year. The force said a total of $721 million were swindled in nearly 1,700 deception cases. Nguyen Ho Yan, a chief inspector with the force's anti-deception coordination centre, said COVID could be one of the reasons for the increase. I'm pretty sure that the scammer paid quite a lot of attention on the situation in Hong Kong. For example, for the telephone deception case recently, I think 90% of the deception cases, the scammer pretend themselves as the Department of Health. Just because Hong Kong people think that they might inform of some COVID issue that show they choose to believe or listen to the recording. Police also noted an increase in the amount of money involved in online romance-related scams, many of which were also investment fraud schemes. Overseas, Rishi Sunak will make history today when he becomes Prime Minister after an audience with King Charles III. As well as being the first British Asian to hold the post, he'll be the youngest UK Prime Minister of modern times. Mr Sunak said that being given the job by Conservative MPs was the greatest privilege of his life. He warned that the country faced difficult times ahead but promised to serve with humility and integrity. The United Kingdom is a great country, but there is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity, and I will make it my utmost priority to bring our party and our country together, because that is the only way we will overcome the challenges we face and build a better, more prosperous future for our children and our grandchildren. Rishi Sunak will have to tackle Britain's highest inflation in 40 years and restore confidence in the government's economic policies. The main opposition Labour Party has demanded immediate elections. A rebel group in Myanmar says around 50 people have been killed in military airstrikes on a musical concert in northern Kachin state. A spokesman for the KIA said two military jets targeted an anniversary ceremony. Chris Gunnis from the Myanmar Accountability Project said the attack amounted to a war crime. 
Not only are we getting reports that up to 60 people may have been killed, many, many more injured, it's also becoming clear from reports on the ground that the Myanmar army was actually blocking civilians being taken to hospital. So all manner of international laws are being violated by this illegal junta. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today, guest presenter, is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're taking a look at the environmental policies in Chief Executive John Lee's maiden policy address and opportunities to advance what's known as green finance. Among the measures highlighted, the government has uh, promised to promote waste reduction and recycling, improve energy efficiency and enhance environmentally friendly transport. Uh, In the coming year, Hong Kong also aims to bring forward a ban on single-use plastic tableware provided by restaurants. According to a paper submitted to LegCo's panel on environmental affairs, the administration said it intended to legislate 